today on Ag News Daily. We combined technologies across the whole supply chain. We slightly changed our definition to agri-food tech from ag tech. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here with the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. I tell you what, um, it is a Tuesday, which means it is Tech Tuesday here on the podcast. And you went ahead and had an interview this morning, Delaney, that we'll be playing a little bit later on, right? Yes, we will. I chatted with Louisa Burwood-Taylor, who works for AgFunder slash AgFunderNews.com. Talking about some of the investments and just really the expansion of technology and agriculture here over the last five to ten years. Fantastic. So listeners, do stay tuned. But before we get to that, let's talk about what is happening in the world of ag news. Delaney, what are some of the big headlines that you really think we need to discuss today? Well, I think one of the big headlines that jumped out at me today was what's going on with our Japanese trade relations because President Trump has now formally notified Congress, which is, of course, one of those steps that he has to take in officially declaring that we are beginning or initiating a trade agreement with Japan. And so he has notified Congress to tell them that in the coming weeks we will be starting that process formally. And that's, of course, the action granted to him under the Trade Promotion Authority but uh, these notifications don't really provide you any clarity or details about the agreement itself, but it's expected or speculated that we will see lowering of tariffs for beef, pork, dairy, wheat, and other U.S. agricultural commodities. All right. Well, we're making progress on at least one front. That's great news. That it is. Um, we are also making progress over in Saudi Arabia. Of course, we talked yesterday about yeah, yesterday about the bombing on the Saudi's oil refinery. And just here earlier in this afternoon, the Saudi oil minister came out and made several comments about how the Saudi oil industry is responding. And I just want to read through them in the timeline because, Delaney, as a journalist, tell me what you think of these. Okay. All right. So – Saudi Energy Minister comes out first and says the oil supply is fully back online. Then he says oil supplies have returned to pre-attack levels. Then he says in the last couple of days, we've restored 50% of lost production. And then finally, our oil production levels will return to normal by the end of September. Uh, sounds like either the journalist or the guy who said all those things got it wrong. Right, because you can't have both. You can't be fully back online hmm. and only have restored 50% of production. I think there's some uh, clarity that needs added to that article, Mike. Yeah, it wasn't a... Uh, well, and that's not the article. Those were his quotes in the order in which he said them. Well, sounds like some fake news. Absolutely. So we really don't know exactly how the Saudis are responding to this uh, This attack that happened on their their oil refinery but it does sound like the markets have been less concerned about it today we saw crude oil have a pretty good sized sell-off earlier this morning and um, just have not been able to really run that market very much higher which unfortunately as we'll get to when we talk markets before delaney's interview means that a lot of the oxygen is getting sucked out of the room when it comes to commodities as a whole well Commodities have definitely had their fair share of beatdown in the U.S., especially, and we discussed it last week on the podcast, 
about the new potential for a stopgap bill that would not include funding for the CCC or the fund basically that the MFP payments come out of. But it sounds like House Democratic leaders are expected to ensure that the USDA can continue making those trade assistance payments after the new fiscal year starts October 1st, regardless of if we have to go into a stopgap spending bill or not. So it sounds like good news there. Um, But Secretary Sonny Perdue said that the... Payment is getting close to the $30 billion borrowing limit, so that's, I guess, one little piece of the puzzle that's still uncertain about if they're going to increase that funding or keep it the same or what's going to happen there for that. All right, and as Secretary Purdue mentioned when this program was first rolled out, they didn't know then either. They were going to wait and see what happens with the market. Absolutely. But since we're talking about payments and funding, I wanted to add one other little piece of news out there in relation to the disaster aid package that is on its way for producers. Um, Conway, or excuse me, Colin Peterson reported to folks that the FSA offices are going to be releasing more details over the next coming weeks about how farmers can claim those prevent plant insurance benefits that were part of the disaster aid package for those folks that were really extremely impacted by flooding and wet weather this year. The agency said that growers could get payments worth an extra 15% on top of their prevent plant coverage or 10% if they do not have the harvest price option. So the agency is still figuring out exactly how to handle that application process and the payment process, but that is also coming down the pipeline for producers to be aware of. All right, yeah, keep an eye on that because political events in D.C. can certainly impact the bottom line of farms today here in the U.S. Absolutely. I want to take us overseas to the country of China. There is a company in China called Unmanned Aerial Systems. Excuse me, the, the company is XAG. I don't know how you say that. But they've announced that they have been applying crop protection products with drones and Over the past year, they have covered 20 million hectares with products dropped from a flying drone. That's about 40 million acres, 48 million acres that have been treated by drones, which I think is fascinating. And that technology is coming here very, very quickly with our good friends from a lot of different places, but certainly Rantizo. That is very fitting for today's technology-focused episode, Mike. Absolutely, Delaney. Well, since you brought up the country of China, we brought up the uh, shipment that was purchased last Friday by Chinese soybean importers. Well, they've made another purchase as of Monday, reported by the USDA, and that was another 256,000 metric tons of U.S. soybeans for the 2019-2020 marketing year. All right. Well, it didn't do much to help the markets today, but at least we're getting those beans moved. Absolutely, absolutely. And it sounds like China will also be accepting exemption applications for punitive tariffs on imports of U.S. goods until October 18th of 2019. And many U.S. ag commodities could make that list, which basically will make them exempt from Chinese tariffs 
as of last week, the first list was just 16 different U.S. goods, but they are apparently going to extend that list and letting U.S. companies basically apply for it is what it sounds like. Okay. All right. So there might be some, some tariff exemptions granted, but that's up to the president and his team, right, if they get the exemptions. That's not Congress's role. No, no, no. That's right. So China is accepting these Oh, you have to apply oh, directly oh, I missed with that China. Completely. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Well, so that they, seems, they um, want the beans and they want them cheaper. It sounds like. Yeah, it just seems really strange that China is allowing these applications for U.S. folks, U.S. goods to apply. It's a little strange. Yeah, but I guess maybe they're hoping those uh, U.S. companies will do the shipping. Yes, I guess I don't know. Be interesting yeah. to get an interview about that. That's for sure. Absolutely, we'll have to. Uh, put our put our ears to the ground and hear for from some experts yes well delaney i'll tell you what i'm a lot of news what other stories do you have today well i think the one other story that we're continuing to watch is what's going to go on with the ethanol situation and um iowa's governor kim reynolds who of course represents a pretty big ethanol producing state said last friday that she had a really good meeting with president trump on Thursday of last week, and she said that if everything they discussed actually gets written down onto paper, gets through in some sort of deal, it's going to be a really good um, benefit for ethanol and corn producers, of course, by default, and said that if this is the deal that they get through, the one that she discussed with President Trump and other folks in D.C. last week, they will likely be inviting him to Iowa to make the announcement of this alleged deal that we keep hearing so much about. Well, before we extend that invitation, uh, Congress people and senators, let's make sure we get something in right. Right. That's, that's I think, really what uh, Reynolds said as well in some of her statements. All right. Well, yeah, hopefully something, something will come through eventually. Something hopefully will. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, do you have any other big news stories we need to be keeping track of today? You know, the other only other piece of news that jumped out at me today was that USDA is going to start shifting their inspection for swine and swine slaughtering. It is a new rule that was just announced today by the USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service, otherwise known as FSIS, and they are going to basically allow swine slaughter facilities to opt into a new inspection system that will focus on new requirements for microbial testing and pathogen control, looking to address issues with sanitary dressings and implement microbial sampling. I, I think it's basically just another way to help prevent any sort of foodborne illnesses. And maybe Absolutely. a more, more improved, modernized way to um, inspect swine slaughter facilities. Yeah, yeah. You know, cut some costs and still mm -hmm. bring out some good service and rock and roll. Absolutely. All right. Well, do you have any other news stories before we get to the markets and then Tech Tuesday? I think that does it for today, Mike. All right, folks. Well, as I mentioned, we've got red on the screen here in the grains today. Starting with the December corn contract, it was down six cents to close at three sixty-eight even. March was down six cents as well. Finished the day at three eighty even. Looking at the soybean market, November contract was down six and a quarter to close the day at eight ninety-three and three quarters. January down six and a half. Finished the day at nine oh seven and a quarter. And finally, Chicago wheat. The December contract was down four and a half cents at four eighty-four and a quarter. 
with the March down four and a half cents as well. Finishing the day at 4.90 and three quarters. Jumping over to take a quick look at the world of livestock, in which the cattle complex got some bids today. Not heavy buyers, but in the green. Looking at the live cattle contract in October, it was up a dollar 35 to finish at 99.35, with the December up a dollar 12.7 and a half to finish the day at 105.30. Excuse me. In feeder cattle, that September. Excuse me. Let's go to October. That October contract was up three dollars ten cents to close at 137.30 with the November up one dollar eighty seven and a half cents finishing up at 135.05 and finally lean hogs came under pressure today after last week's and Monday's rally the October contract was down a dollar fifty two fifty at sixty two dollars ten with the December down the limit closed lower by three dollars to finish at sixty seven sixty seven fifty and of course we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry dairy has been highly volatile for the past several days and today is no exception unfortunately not volatile to the red looking at the september contract it was down a nickel today at 1829 with the october down 75 cents finishing up the day at 1899 delaney why don't you tell us a little bit more about who we're talking to and what to expect in our interview well, as I mentioned there, Louisa Birdwood-Taylor works for AgFunder, agfundernews.com, which is really an arm that's focused on helping provide capital for ag tech and food tech companies. So I'm just going to turn it over to my conversation with Louisa. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, I am very excited to introduce Louisa Burwood-Taylor, who is the Head of Media and Research at AgFunder. Louisa, first of all, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks so much for having me. So give us the 10,000-foot view. What is AgFunder? What are the different pools that you're interested, as relate, interested in as related to technology and agriculture? Yeah, so AgFunder is an online uh, venture capital platform. We use technology, uh, network effects, and media to invest in transformational entrepreneurs across food tech and ag tech, so across the whole supply chain. Um, and AgFunder was set up as a means to bring more money into the agriculture industry. Our founders were uh, working on an agriculture project out in Mali in Africa, and were struggling to raise funding. And when they took a step back, they realized that this was you know, not a unique situation. Agriculture really wasn't an area that investors were interested in, but equally was not an area that was experiencing the technological revolution that was taking place in other industries. And so they decided to do something about it. And that's um, where we are today. So Louisa, tell me a little bit about your background. I mean, I think cats out of the bag, you do not sound like you are from the U.S., so tell us about your background <laughs> and how you got um, involved with this project, this group. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, no, I'm from London, England, um, and my background is actually as a financial journalist. So I've written about various different investment markets across the world. Um, I lived out in Asia for a few years, and um, and then I really started looking at agriculture about six years ago now, um, and it's a similar time, funnily enough, to my colleagues who I was just talking about when they had realized there was this, you know, gap in investment into agriculture. Um, on the other side, I was working for a media company in London that also wanted to look at more niche areas that folks were starting to invest in. And agriculture was one of those. So I was very fortunate to be the founding editor of that publication um, in 2013. 
And um, ag tech was just a, a small piece of that. And now I joined Ag Funder in 2015 and, and ag tech, you know, the rest is history. It's, it's a booming industry for, for venture capital. Absolutely. So you've kind of been with ag tech, especially as it's had really its big boom here over the last couple of years. From an investment standpoint, what sort of numbers or what sort of investments have we seen people really make in the ag tech or food tech space? Yeah, so I mean, twenty. I mentioned 2015, was, which was like this breakout year and and there was this number that, you know, really kind of did the rounds, which was $4.6 billion uh, was invested into into farm technologies that year. And that was, you know, exponential growth on, on previous years before that. But fast forward to um, 2018, and we combined technologies across the whole supply chain. So we sl- slightly changed our definition to agri-food tech from ag tech just to encompass everything along the supply chain, because we noticed that not only entrepreneurs were innovating throughout, um, but investors were also investing throughout. So we cha- we shifted to agri-food tech, but last year um, there was nearly $17 billion worth of investment. And if you think that back in 2013, that number was $2.1 billion, um, yeah, it's safe to say there's been a huge amount of growth. Oh my gosh, that is a humongous growth. And I'm interested too right. to dive in a little further. You mentioned the supply chain there, which is anything from the farmer producer level all the way up to the, I assume, to the retail level or the um, distribution of those products. Do you see any one of those areas along that supply chain being the focal point of venture capitalism moving forward or, or currently? Yeah, so I mean, one... You know, there's, there's often, you know, what you hear in, in the media and, and what's kind of happening on the ground. And there are certain areas that have been um, perhaps a little bit, you know, hyped up and, and um, people get a little bit overexcited about their, their impact, um, such as indoor, indoor agriculture and, and indoor farming. Um, that's actually quite a, a relatively small piece of the investment pie as such over the years. But areas that have been a bit more, um, that have attracted more funding have been what we call ag biotech. So those would be, um, you know, novel uh, fertilizers and crop inputs, seed technologies, uh, gene editing, and all of those tools that are used to give farmers um, better tools on the farm. So that's one area that's been very, very popular within, amongst investors. And then also going into the farm management software, sensors and, and IoT systems. Um, those are really popular too. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked to quite a few companies that fit within those different spaces. Getting back though mm. to the um, ag funder itself, you have the ag funder, the investment arm, but then the agfundernews.com. Tell us a little bit more about that side of the business. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, when the founders you know, realized they wanted to change the paradigm on agriculture investment and technology in agriculture, they realized that an important piece of that was going to be education and actually um, showing people, you know, the opportunity that existed in this area. And so they started that with Ag Funder News. And that's where I come in. And that's a part of the business that I manage. 
Um, and we're like a tech crunch for agriculture, for ag tech, or agri-food tech even. <laughs> We've slightly evolved over the years. But we really cover, you know, all the deals that um, get done, all you know, the investments that are made in these technology startups. We interview the large corporates, the big agribusinesses, to find out how they're handling all this new innovation and technology. Uh, we interview farmers. Um, we interview food companies. So we're really trying to be a finger on the pulse um, for anyone coming into this space. You know, we are readers, are a combination of people that have been reading us for years who have been some of the longest standing entrepreneurs and investors in the space. But we also really hope to be a resource for newcomers. And as you know, those numbers would show you, there's certainly more and more newcomers all the time. And we really hope they come and use AgFund News as a way to get up to speed with what's going on in the space. And as you've interviewed some of these companies, these investors, these people with the big ideas, are there any that have just jumped out at you as being, wow, this is just a phenomenal idea. I can't believe they thought of it. You know, that that in your face, just surprise or shock at what an interesting and great idea. I mean, it happens all the time. <laughs> I find it really hard to to pick um, particularly, um, you know, some areas over others. I th- I will say that some of the stuff that's coming through on the robotics front um, is just incredibly cool um, and also just incredibly necessary when we think about some of the, the labor challenges uh, and cost challenges that are facing um, the agriculture industry. So um, at the moment, I think we've, we're definitely seeing a, you know an uptick in robotic startups coming through, and that's really exciting. In the earlier days, that you know there were few and far between, and um, was much more challenging. Louisa, we've got quite a few listeners from the United States, but we've also got some folks that listen pretty frequently from Canada and France and some other countries. Do you see the issues impacting agriculture the same across all of those different countries? I mentioned, I mean, you mentioned the labor issue there. That's been a big one in the United States, but do you see those issues transpiring in other countries as well? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the challenges are very similar. And of course, they're going to have local nuances. So if you're thinking about someone in France, um, you know, the size of the farms is going to be quite different, probably, to many of those in the US. So the actual um, specific, you know, robot or technology that's going to be useful there might look different and might be used differently. Um, but I think overall the challenges are the same. You know, you've got cl- climatic weather um, issues, you've got labor shortages, you've got low commodity prices. You know, all of these things are a global phenomenon. So, yeah, there will be local specific issues. But I think as a macro um, trend, they're all going to be pretty similar. Interesting. All right. Well, for those people that are listening that are very producer focused, maybe have their own farming operation or livestock operation, how can they use AgFunder News or just AgFunder to their benefit? What should they be looking for when they're heading to your site or what should they be watching for? Yeah, well, I mean, we always want to hear um, from people in the grower community. We have, you know, a decent following so far, but we're always looking for more. And we always, you know, we'd love to um, interview them as well, you know, share their stories. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that's been a challenge for ag tech has been a, a bit of a disconnection between the entrepreneurs and the technologists and the farmers. Um, it sounds kind of crazy that you might become an ag tech entrepreneur and not really know any farmers, but that is what's happened um that that that's a paradigm is improving but we we really do need farmers to be more part of this conversation so if anyone wants to get in touch with us tell us you know this technology is completely crazy why is anyone investing in this or creating this or you know let us know the types of 
challenges that they're facing where, you know, there isn't anything, any technology to help. You know, we'd love to unearth those stories um, and, you know, to help foster more innovation in the right direction. Absolutely. Louisa, before I let you go, I've got to ask one final question. I know you said there's no technology or a service or anything that's jumped out at you so far, but as you look to the future, do you see a trend or do you see any new products developing in a certain area or anything that has you really excited about this ag tech space? This is slightly different, but I think this is, um, you know, will be relevant to your farming audience is this idea around uh, personalization of food or people, you know, being able to access um, specific dietary requirements that they need. I think more than ever, consumer demands are impacting how and what farmers are growing um, and I think it's just overall this this trend and any of these technologies that can help to facilitate that um, and give X to what they want but also help the farmer to produce the right products I think are really interesting and so that sort of comes back to this idea of the supply chain shortening and, and calling this agri-food tech because we're seeing entrepreneurs really delve through the supply chain and I, I think there's, there's a maybe more interesting business models as opposed to technologies, but I think really important are going to shape how the food industry looks in the future. Absolutely. It's going to be an interesting time ahead of us. Consumer driven, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Louisa, thank you so much for sharing some information. And, and uh, one more time, could you share with us the web address and the social media sites for AgFunder? Absolutely. So agfunder.com is the investment side of the business. And um, I probably should have mentioned that's another way that, you know, your listeners could get involved if you want to invest in the funds with us. Uh, we co-invest with our investors in a portfolio of startups across the supply chain. Then there is agfundernews.com. That is a new site. And you can sign up to our weekly newsletter, which comes out every Thursday. And our Twitter is at agfunder. All right. Well, Louisa, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, again, do go check out agfundernews.com if you've got some interest in learning a little bit more about the articles that they're publishing. Maybe you have an idea for starting your own ag or food tech company or product. Or as Louisa said, there. I mean, now is the time to share your story They've got a great platform to help connect producers with sometimes those people on the other side that are maybe creating this software, this technology, but don't really have a true idea about how it works or how agriculture gets impacted by it. I thought that was a great point she made. Absolutely. It's always important to connect. And listeners, you can connect with us on social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily and we'll be there. And you can always find us on our website at agnewsdaily.com, which will take you to our home at the Global Ag Network. You can listen to all of our past episodes, as well as episodes of other podcasts focused on agriculture. With that, Delaney Howell, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.